Hello ladies and gentlemen, it's I, your humble anime slave, Reek and Strongblood, back once again with episode 38. Um, if you happen not to be listening to this on M82 and you're at the new blog, Odin Worlds, that's with an S, blogspot.com, welcome, this is a one-time show, to uh, commemorate the honor of the opening of the spaceship, odinworlds.blogspot.com, and Odin Shine. You will all bask in the glory of the starlight. But if you're joining me on Anime 82, you know, my podcast website, welcome. Check out Odin's World. It's a strange curiosity. But yes, episode 38, I go where no podcaster has gone before. To the cruel story of Photon Sailor Starlight. Odin. Of course, there was a great podcast called The Anime World Order. Their episode 12, I think it was done in 2006. Um, covers the same show. It's always been a favorite of mine, but um, it's 2010, so I think I can finally do a review on this. The smoke has settled from the AWO review, and uh, now Mr. Regan Strongblood gets a shot at it. Odin. Just before the review, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to contact me, why not email me at Regan Strongblood, that's small case mine, you R-E-G-A-N-S-T-R-O-N-G-B-L-O-O-D at gmail.com. Email me, tell me you love me, tell me you hate me. If you want to trade anime, I still do that. Questions, comments, I always appreciate them and I always answer them. Thank you for all the kind emails and I'm on with the show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I was destined to review Odin and let me explain to you why. Now, Regan Strongblood is a true northerner. In every sense of the word. Um, first of all, my one grandfather was born in Ireland, of course, Northern Europe. And my other grandfather was born in Norway. Norway. Um, another Northern European, Scandinavia, if you will. Um, I myself was born in the northern frozen tundra of Canada. Canada. So, as you can see, my line is destined to um, review Odin because um, some of you may not know this but you know Ireland was invaded by the Vikings um, Dublin was a Viking settlement um, my other grandfather was Viking invaded my other grandfather mixing the blood you know there's no pure Irish blood you know Viking mix so you see um, and then the frozen north you know it's the snow runs through my veins the passion the spirit of the Viking Viking god of Viking Odin Odin, anime review, anime obsessed, Regan Strongblood, god of my forefathers. See, it all, it comes to circle. I was destined to review Odin. So, ladies and gentlemen, here I am with my destiny in front of me. It's such a scary task because um, it's very dangerous to do a review after the AWO because the AWO is such a strong anime podcast. Um, I highly suggest, um, if you're on my Odin's World's blog spot here um i put a link on there i hope the awo doesn't mind to their episode 12 it's a very candid interesting entertaining look at odin and i highly recommend it they got everything on spot um gel surat gel rathko clarissa i salute you i love the show and i think your review was spot on by no means um will i imitate your show or plagiarize your show but uh, Odin is a passion of mine, and um, it's my turn. I'm destined. So let me have my shot at my destiny, Odin. So uh, with no further ado, here we go. Originally planned to be called the Odin Adventure 2099, 1985's 139-minute 
Odin Photon Sail Starlight is a beautiful space tragedy, a film that had everything going for it. A successful Yoshinobi Nishizaki's newly envisioned masterpiece with some of the most intricate and beautiful mechanical design ever in sci-fi animation history, the anime quality was superb for 1985. Hell, it was superb for 2010, down to the smallest detail. I mean, the background animation has full movement, just like a real scene in a movie. Um, a good example is when the spaceship, the Starlight, first takes off. Take a look at the background, ladies and gentlemen, of the cheering crowd as they cheer on the ship as it goes along. You have people leaving the room, children laughing, everyone's clapping, all the different facial expressions, all the different crazy shit going on. It's just amazing background animation. It's truly a masterpiece in regards to animation quality, mechanical and character design. With a huge budget, an all-star cast and crew, Odin was to be a new beginning, a brand new epic trilogy, a space opera. Yoshinobu Nishizaki's chance for him to make his own mark without the likes of Yamato crewmate Leiji Masamoto to overshadow him. Now, you may wonder, did you say this is a space tragedy? Yes. The tragedy lies within the story, within the pacing, and within the editing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give a little bit of a synopsis and then a description of the ship and my thoughts and the directors and all that stuff. Um, kind of major spoilers, but this movie's from 1985. Um, just a synopsis, if you will. I think this story is a combination of the space battleship Yamato and Galaxy Express 39. Um, I'll explain why. Um, Odin, a beautiful planet of prosperity and peace, is ravaged by the fires of cannabis. Did I say cannabis? No, I said canopus not cannabis, leaving the planet in disarray and destruction. Legends on planet Earth from the ancient Nordic traditions told of Odin, king of the gods, and that humans themselves were descendants of God. It turns out Odin was not a god, but a planet, the planet Odin. Now, the Odinese people build a master computer and a fleet of ships in order to survive the fierce fires of the son of Odin. A few, I'm not talking about Thor, I'm talking literally about the son of the planet Odin. You catch my drift? All right, let's continue. Now, a few Odinese stay on the planet with the hopes that perhaps they can survive. Now, the Queen's DNA is shot out into space with the hopes that the Odinese race will live on even if the planet does not. Now, the people of Odin, the master computer that they have manufactured, slowly evolves throughout time, thousands of years, and evolves into Asgard, a supercomputer that has incorporated the Odinese into its body, using their energy to expand its consciousness and destroy all organic beings as it travels through space. The Odinese lose their freedom, their mind, their thoughts. They have become Asgard's cyborg slaves. Now, in the Anime World Order review of Odin, um, I noticed they said that uh, Nisaki had not really understood northern mythology the norse mythology and they wondered why um they just kind of he threw in certain names at certain places like they had said that the planet was called odin and the civilization was called asgard which seems to um contradict the norse mythology that you know odin is king of the gods like i said and asgard being the capital of the country of the gods or the land of the gods if you will now, you may think I am a hyper-geek, or hyper-nerd, I guess would be the proper um, description, but I humbly disagree with their opinion on the niche's misunderstanding of North mythology. 
I think that Nish was quite well read in Norse mythology, and um, let me explain how he represents the Norse mythology and the terminologies he chose and why within the film. Now, the Odin's people DNA crashed to Earth and was the creator of the Nordic races on the planet, not the entire human race, as some people may think, but no, the aliens' DNA created only the Nordic races on the planet Earth. Now, the planet Odin created the Norsemen. Within the Norse mythology, um, it's believed that Odin created man, hence the planet, which they mistake in their primitive minds that can't understand aliens as God, planet Odin. In reality, it is the creator. The planet Odin created the Norsemen, so really, in a way, Odin is God to the Norsemen. And that is the link to the Earth because North mythology, the god Odin, is represented in this way by Nishizaki. And that's why I believe he was not mis misread in the use of Odin, but that perhaps in translation it doesn't come off always as intricate as the Nish had come up with in one of his machine gun rages. Cocaine. Now, Belgal, which is the space fortress, which is made up of several buildings, towers, command centrals, several Belgal stations, several Belgal computers, generators, weapons. Um, it's like a multi-city. It's created by the main brain computer. And there is, in fact, no civilization of Asgard. No, Asgard 9 is the codename of the space fortress's main control terminal. See, the people on Belgal are from the civilization Odin, Odinese. Asgard has taken the civilization of Odin and has incorporated them into his own system, absorbing their energy, making them part of its own body. So in this way, Odin dwells in Asgard. It links the Earthsmith's understanding of Odin as God. The people of Odin dwell within Asgard. Asgard represents, you know, in North mythology, land of the gods. And in this way, Asgard is represented correctly. For Odin, God, dwells within Asgard. The people of Odin, God, dwell within the supercomputer's body, Asgard. Odin dwells in Asgard. See what I mean? See, in the English job, there's less description. But Nishizaki uses the mythology in a less sloppy way than some might think. He wanted to somehow link alien culture with North legends. So I don't think it always translates well, but I just had to kind of defend Nishizaki because I don't think it was as sloppy. I think it was actually just crazily well thought out. But um, it's not always easy to catch all these things. But uh, yes, I believe Nishizaki is quite well read in mythology and in boats because both are represented quite well. The history of sailing and Norse mythology in his own crazy warped mind. So there you have it, Nish. You know that Odin dwells in Asgard. <laughs> now the crew of the newly built Starlight rescue a young, beautiful Nordic girl named Sarah. When the Starlight picks up an SOS signal, just as they're about to fly off on their virgin mission to test the drivers en route to the moon, then to Jupiter, then beyond. 
The distress call is coming, in fact, from Jupiter. A transport vessel, Alfred, had been caught in a magnetic storm in the Xenos asteroid zone. It turns out to be the Terminator, an alien organic sensor that creates magnetic storms when organic material is detected. Now, who has created such a cold and destructive death machine in the far reaches of Jupiter? Whoever it was, they're not from planet Earth. Now, once the Terminator's attack system is accidentally triggered, a giant explosion propels the starlight close to the planet Uranus, two billion kilometers from Jupiter where Sarah was discovered. When Sarah finally awakes on the starlight, she psychically feels something of great importance is buried under the ice on Obron, one of the moons of Uranus. Of your anus. <laughs> now, a strange UFO is discovered under the ice, just as Sarah psychically foreseen doo -doo -doo, within the control room of the long-dead UFO vessel. Crystals are discovered. They turn out to be memory chips. And once recompiled and converted, a melody is played and a strange blueprint appears on the computer screen. Now, from the alien crystals, the song is recalled as an ancient Norwegian folk song. The blueprint miraculously can be read by the mysterious Sarah. Our ship touched down, fourth moon of eighth planet, escaping to third planet to join other ships. The newly found psychic energy, too much for Sarah's mind to handle. She struggles in pain to continue to decipher the alien artifact attempting. Contact fails. Aliens too primitive to respond to our calls. Odin, she finally calls. Odin. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not doing a play-by-play -play synopsis. I'm not going through the whole show. I basically have to say a quite described synopsis just so we can get into this and explain it because it's kind of complicated in a stupid kind of way. So, Odin, she cries. The alien blueprint is a star chart. Once they figure out the shit, it's dated back to 20,000 years ago. That's a long time. 20,000 years ago, the star chart they discovered is from. Now, a point on the map where a space warp may lie is discovered. Tracing the map, the warp zone is located in the center of the Argo constellation, the star Canopus. Not cannabis, Canopus. It's also discovered the crystal has recorded a contact between the aliens and Earth, linking the Odin legend of Norway with the mysterious alien planet Odin. Sarah, our lone survivor, is psychically connected to planet Odin. Along with Sarah's vision, her dreams reveal the truth to the starlight. Odin is calling them to return to paradise, to do as sailors must do, to discover new lands, new worlds, open doors to paradise. Little do they know the hardships and the mechanical horrors that block the gates to paradise. See, I just had to do a synopsis so we get that out of the way. So that's basically the gist of the story, ladies and gentlemen. Now, there's a few characters that stand out, but basically uh, they're all kind of boring. We'll get into the characters and the director and all that a little bit later. But let's talk about the real star of this show. And that's the ship, baby. The ship, the starlight. Now, the Starlight is the newest in technology, the finest of the photon sailors. Driven by laser beams reflected into the sails, propelling them forward, generated by solar energy stations. 
These lasers are emitted by a vast network of relay stations set up at different points throughout the solar system. By 2099, these are the new highways. It's commonplace for freighters and spaceships to fly on the thin red line in space. Now, the laser system reaches from Earth to the edge of the asteroid belt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, unlike most, or should say unlike all, really, ships, the Starlight has an advanced energy control system. It's a beautiful vessel modeled after the classic Japanese sailboat, the Nihon Maru. Um, a very beautiful ship. Check it out on Google and you'll see what I mean. It's based off that famous Japanese ship. So beautiful. And yes, that's the design inspiration the niche said himself, if you didn't know. Now, anyways, let's get back on with the technology of the ship. The ship's new technology allows the ship to go faster and travel much farther into space than any other spaceship beforehand. Um, it launches from the space colony city of Einstein for its maiden voyage. The pride of the International Space Agency who spent 20 years and billions of dollars for the day the beautiful starlight could shine like a silver swan flying gloriously to the cosmos. And truly, it's a beautiful ship design. The star of the film, the good part of this movie, is my beloved starlight. She is so beautiful. I love her. It's the one thing she has over the space battleship Yamato. The starlight is much more beautiful. Now, unlike the Yamato, the starlight was built not to fight, but to explore the mysteries of space. The starlight will represent the glory of all man's technical prowess in the year 2099. Oh yeah, with her revolutionary gravity control drive system. Now, another thing the starlight has over the Yamato, now that I think about it, is she's much, much faster. The Yamato would never be able to catch up to the starlight. Um, it's hundreds of times faster than the ships of 2099 when this takes place, long after the Yamato storyline. So the speed is because of the revolutionary gravity control drive system. You know what I'm saying? They can manipulate gravity, kick some ass. So the purpose of the starlight is to allow mankind to travel past the points of Jupiter, to find new lands, new civilizations, to search, to do as sailors have always done, discover the mysteries of the sea, and now the final mystery, the final sea, space. Now, Nishizaki wanted to have the starlight space travel represent the history of sailors and their exploration of new lands. Instead of the ocean of water, the starlight travels into the ocean of space, as I was saying. Um, Akira is one of the very few um, notable characters in the film. Um, he's an ace pilot with a bad attitude. Um, he fought with his teachers. He didn't make the cut for the starlight. Um, he takes matters into his own hands, and he steals a fighter and lands on the starlight just before it's going on its test. You know, it's going on its test to check the new technology, the new drivers. Now, Nishizaki wanted to represent the idea of unpredictability while sailing. Um, this sort of behavior would never go down on dry land. It's unthinkable back on Space Colony City Einstein, but just like in the ancient days of sailing on the sea, sometimes rules can be stretched or even broken. Um, another aspect of sailing is shown when the crew of the Starlight commits mutiny on the captain when you know the captains refuse to continue to go on to Odin. Now, this is a scene... That happened many times as documented in European history. Mutiny did occur. Mutiny was committed when a crew was unhappy with its captain. They wanted to continue to the treasure. 
And, you know, the treasure is represented with Odin in this case. Now, as the starlight makes its way through the rough seas of space, they find trouble in the way of the possessed Odinese who have been... They have been possessed by Asgard. They have become the treached arms of Asgard 9. Now, in the days of exploring the seas, often fast adjustments would have to be made. Like, cargo would have to be dropped overboard. In many cases, metal items would be used as ammunition when cannonballs ran short, when pirates did appear. Now, this is represented in the movie as the crew must quickly find innovative ways to use the Starlight's powerful engine and laser system to create weapons, cannons, and grenades against pirates, a.k.a. the UFO in this case. So you see, the comparison with the history of sailing and the life of a sailor and the mysterious seas is represented by Nisasaki very beautifully in the vast sea of space. Yeah, I saw this, ladies and gentlemen. Give him some credit. Come on, baby. Now, Yoshinobu Nishizaki produced this, directed this, and he came up with the original story. Now, Yoshinobu Nishizaki is famous, of course, for space battleship Yamato. Now, he directed this with a trilogy of other gentlemen, Toshio Masuda, a mainstay on space battleship Yamato, and of course, Future War Year 198X. Oh, baby. That's a hard one to find. I have it in Greek. Judd Rathcobe, I know you have this movie. You told me. I wants it. Me wants the precious. Give me the precious. Or maybe that was Area 88 who said he had Future War Year 198X. I can't remember, but one of you two have it. Give it to me. Boxwell fans have it. Um, oh, I'm off topic here, but don't forget uh, to check out Baka BT. Box fan subs finally releasing um, Love Position. It's coming out this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. I know I'm off talk topic, but if you made it this far, make sure you check out Box fan subs. Get Love Position, baby. It's going to be good. Also sitting on the director's chair. Yes, so many people. It's There's only one chair and all these people are playing magical chairs. Takeshi Shirado or Shirato, depending where you read it. He worked on direct. He directed Gigi no Kitaro and Kaniko Man. So that's sort of an odd selection. And we also have Aichi Yamamoto, who worked on Astro Boy, Ocean, and Cleopatra. Now, art directors, two very, very capable gentlemen with massive records. Geki Katsumuta and... Tarano Chizuji. Forgive me. I know I didn't say those names properly, but some of those names are tough, ladies and gentlemen. If you check out these guys' credentials on the Anime News Network, they have quite an array of massive shows, and um, they're quality guys. You can tell. The art is very, very beautiful. On All-Star Voice Cast, of course, we have Kiko Han, who I know and especially love because of her work on Lock the Superman movie. Yeah! We also have very famous... Toshio Furukawa, and Nori Wakamoto. So this movie has an all-star cast of directors and voice actors. So what happened? Why isn't this a classic? Why didn't we get the trilogy? Yes, there was supposed to be a trilogy, three movies. It flopped in Japan. This movie is tedious to watch. It's much too drawn out. Perhaps they could have added more subplots to keep the viewers' attention. But ultimately, I think the only thing that could have saved this movie is to edit it down to like 65 minutes. Seriously, this would have been a good movie if it was cut down to 65 minutes. Perhaps a 45-minute OVA. I'm serious. Um, glimpses of Nishizaki's envisioned fantastic journey shine through at points, but overall, 
very poorly directed and very poorly edited. Now, if I was to make a list of the 50 worst anime of all time, Odin, you can quote me on this, Odin would not make that list. Now, that's not saying the story's good. It's basically flat-out boring, to be quite frank, bluntly, but it does have its moments. It has an interesting plot, borrowing a lot from Nishizaki's former show, Space Battleship Yamato, combined with Earth's secret links to a forgotten alien empire. It's an interesting idea. I think sometimes when a film has so much detail, so many directors, a complicated tale crammed into one movie, it can make people making the movie lose track of what the fans will think. Now, did the niche not have the heart to cut down any of the beautiful, painstaking detail, scenes of beautiful, descriptive technobabble and a confusing storyline with basically no character development? It's almost non-existent. Um, while mechanical design takes front stage, I mean, the ship is the star of the film. But it's unfortunately a very, very beautiful bore. Now, Nish had hope of starting a new mythos, a trilogy of wonder and beauty. Ultimately, it sunk in the waves of disbelief. Odin sank as did any hopes of the two sequels. Now, perhaps it would have worked out better as a trilogy of three 45-minute OVAs. Who knows? Maybe we could have got the trilogy. It would have been a lot quicker. It would have been more interesting, not so drawn out. But who knows? In the chaotic storm, the storm of anarchy that Odin sailed into, you can still see it. Oh, yes, you can see it in the horizon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a slight light of a fantastic tale of wonder and beauty. And with all said and done, we never get to see Odin because that was for the sequel. So the ship is still sailing on, ladies and gentlemen. What could have been a wonderful, great movie turned into a shipwreck. At best, if I had to show examples of beautiful cell animation of the 1980s, Odin would surely make that list. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for a more fun review, probably, make sure you check out Anime World Order's review of Odin. It's famous. Um, it made a lot of people go out and check out Odin. And, you know, can you survive watching this movie? I watch it three times, so perhaps I should get a medal. Make sure you check out Backup ET for Box Fan Sub this weekend. We're going to have a new release. It's exciting to finally get it out, so make sure you check that out. Thank you for listening, and check out my Odin Shrine blog. I did it just for fun. Um, love it or hate it, it's a beautiful bore. So Odin is a movie I enjoy, but... It does suck. Um, Nish would go on to work on Legend of the Overfiend, so there you have it. What a crazy guy. And um, we have a new Yamato movie. CGI combined with um, kind of more traditional animation. Hopefully we'll get our hands on that, and hopefully that's good. I wish the Nish the best, and I hope the new Yamato movie sails into the starlight, to new heights, to the heaven, where the beautiful starlight did not make it. Imagine if they remade Odin, like, that'd be awesome. Just make it really cool, three OVAs, that would be perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Join me again next time for my all-OVA episode with Dane from Anime Pacific, hopefully, um, Kent from Up a Paddle, hopefully, and I reached out to Eper. I don't know, that guy's been kind of missing in action. Maybe we can get some love from Ireland. Ladies and gentlemen, I will leave you as I always leave you. I love you. 
anime loves you and the power of anime love compels you. Oh, Dean! <laughs>